Hey fellow brain pickers, how would you like to get featured as a guest on multiple podcast shows like this one and get massive exposure? Getfeatured.media will get you featured on targeted shows. They'll design a custom bio page, pitch you to the hosts, schedule a time, prepare you for the shows and promote you so you get even more brand exposure. Head over to getfeatured.media to get major publicity for your brand. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 74 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today is the day that I get to pick the brain of one of my biggest inspirations. Tom Billoy is the co-founder of Quest Nutrition, which is saving lives one health bar at a time. It was the second fastest growing company in 2014, which grew by 57,000% in year three and was valued at over a billion dollars within just five years. Tom is also the founder and host of Impact Theory, where he follows his guests down their personal rabbit hole to explore the mindsets of the world's highest achievers and discover their secrets to success. He's been featured in countless major publications, including Forbes, Inc., Success, and the Huffington Post, to name a few. But all this success doesn't get to his head. His humility and the way he sets aside his ego to learn from others is truly astounding. It is my absolute pleasure and honor to introduce to you a man whose mission is to end metabolic disease and put a stop to the number one cause of death among young men, suicide. I bring to you a superhero in the flesh, a Jedi Knight combating the darkness in this world, the Neo that is pulling people out of the matrix. Tom, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Dude, it is my pleasure, and I have to acknowledge that incredibly epic uh, intro, so thank you. Very, very kind. Oh, you're kidding me. I mean, seriously, Tom, you, you literally have mastered, mastered the art of introductions. I don't think I've ever seen anybody else deliver an introduction like you have, and I really think that, that you're like the best in the world at it. What, I want to ask you this. What's your process, and how long does it take you, and how do you nail them every single time? Uh, I'm a rewriter. So uh, my thing is the first draft is universally bad. And uh, I just try (laughs) to spend enough time with it to finally make it good. And it really is a result of all the research. So, you know, the the intro is actually the last thing that I do. And I'm Mm. often like rewriting that literally until my team is hounding (laughs) me that if I don't get it to them uh, soon, we're not going to be able to go live. So um, yeah, that, that's, uh, it's the result of hours and hours of research and a lot wow. of rewriting. Wow. I mean, literally I, I've been, like I said to you before in the, before the, before we got on together, um, I've been following Tom for uh, about a, almost a year now. I've literally had lunch with Tom, uh, every single day, uh, watching his, uh, uh, I guess it was, it was inside quest and now, um, it's impact theory and, um, just literally tr- learning from you I mean, because you you literally are the, i think i personally think that you're the best uh interviewer that's out there right now in in, in today's world without a question um 
for those of you that don't know Tom, uh, Tom, you are a huge fan of taking metaphors from movies and applying them to life and business, right? No question. So, so this is going to be a fun one for you because what I wanted to do in this interview is something a little bit different. I want to go through some movies and see how you apply the lessons to your life and how our listeners can apply those same lessons to their lives so that they can reach their highest potential. You cool with that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, man. So first of all, one thing that I know we definitely have in common is that we both think that The Matrix was the best movie ever made. In fact, I think you called it a documentary, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a t-shirt that I found online that says The Matrix was a documentary <laughs> that I am very fond of. Very cool. So let's very dive cool. in. So I want to kind of take our listeners to, for those of you that watch The Matrix, I'm sure most of you have. And if you haven't, you've definitely got to watch it. Uh, but there's this one scene where um, Morpheus offers uh, Neo the red pill or the blue pill. And Morpheus said, if you take the blue pill, then the story ends, you wake up in your bed and you believe whatever you want to believe. But if you take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland and I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. So my question to you, Tom, is, is when did you first realize that you can choose the red pill in your life? Yeah. Yeah, I oh man, I really wish that life were as cool as movies and that there were this sort of one single moment where everything clicks into place and it becomes obvious. It it really was watching that movie that began to put that notion on my radar that, mm -hmm. you know, if you could accept the world the way that it is, which is how I see the red pill. Yeah. If you could accept the world the way that it is, then you could really begin to um, understand the rules that you have to follow and you could understand the rules that could be bent or broken or just out and out ignored. Um, but it really was a process, man. It, it took years and years for me to begin to realize like how perfect of a metaphor the matrix really was. But the red pill succinctly is accepting that you can do anything that you set your mind to and all the limitations that you have are really self-inflicted. Right. In fact, uh, in one scene as well, he, Neo said to Morpheus, you know, what are you trying to tell me that I could dodge bullets? Uh, to which Morpheus says, no, Neo, I'm telling you that when you're ready, you won't have to. Right. And you talk about how we are almost limitless. Right. That's your like you talk about that a lot. Um, how did you discover your own ability to, I guess, in a sense, stop bullets? Like what is how did you become limitless? And, and what, did you, what do you do now also to remind yourself um, that you're truly limitless? Because a lot of us, we watch movies, we get really inspired, and then we kind of just go back to our lives, right? Yeah, the, the important thing about that quote, and it gave me the chills as you were reading it, and I've seen it like so many times, but the reason <laughs> that it hits me all the time is, is when he says, you know, am I, are you telling me that I'm going to be able to dodge bullets? He says, no, you, you're not going to have to. Hmm. And that's the key, that the, the bullets aren't real, or the bullets are things that you're putting in your own way. And understanding that, understanding that the fundamental human condition is that the brain and the human body are both designed to be adaptation machines. And one of my favorite quotes from Darwin, largely because it runs contrary to what people think he said, and people think he said that it's his theories were about the survival of the fittest, which he did not say that was said long after his death. What he said was, it's not the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent, but rather the most adaptive to change. Hmm. And so 
a big thing for me was realizing that humans could adapt, that you could place a stressor on yourself, either mental, emotional, physical, and that the body would adapt to that. And, and you have to be very careful of maladaptation as well, which is you know what most people succumb to. They get stressors in their life that are you know, anxiety-inducing or stress-inducing, and they um, have a maladaptive response. They hardwire for that, and so it takes less and less to trigger them into a state of stress, panic, uh, fight or flight or whatever. Hmm. But the gym was a big thing for me that showed me that, hey, just because you can't pick up that weight today doesn't mean that you can't pick it up tomorrow. And if you're doing the right things, um, you know, lifting consistently, eating the right things, pushing yourself, breaking down the muscle in an intelligent fashion, using rest, all of that, like in this alchemic equation, you can transform your physique, you can transform what you're literally capable of. And so even though I don't enjoy the gym, uh, <laughs> right. it's taught me some incredibly powerful lessons about the human ability to adapt. So I know this is audio, so people can't see you, but uh, for those listening, Tom is literally a beast, uh, if you saw him, and I'm sure we'll put up an image of that. Um, but what's, what's really refreshing is that it's so important for people to hear that, for people to hear that you don't like going to the gym, because if anybody saw you, they would think that you're a gym addict, like you love going to the gym, and there are people like that. There are people who literally can't wait to go to the gym, and they'll spend hours there, um, and the fact that you hate going to the gym but you still go it's in, it's incredible how do you yeah, how do you motivate people, yourself well that that for me is is very easy so one it's identity mm -hmm. so i focus on being the type of person that does things that move them towards his goals whether they are intrinsically pleasurable or not and that comes down to fulfillment right so there's momentary happiness and then there's what i call framework happiness momentary happiness is staying in bed not getting up it really is awesome like being warm and snuggly in your yeah. bed and you know as i'm assuming you're in the uk so i mean never so i live what's that i'm actually in israel but i was i, I grew up in the uk Okay, well, I'll flash you back to the UK because this may not be as true <laughs> in Israel. Yeah. But in the UK, you wake up, it is cold. And the last thing you want to do is get out of bed. And mm -hmm. never in my life have I been um, had a harder time getting out of bed than when I lived in the UK. Uh, it was literally a nightmare. And um, that's that momentary happiness. But framework happiness is being something, becoming something, striving for something. And so getting out of bed to go do that, to have the identity of somebody who does the unpleasant things in pursuit of his goals, that's meaningful to me. And that makes me feel good about myself. And that feeling good about myself based on decisions that I make when nobody's looking, nobody can ever take that away from you. Um, mm. It's not something you're doing for show. It's entirely something that you do to be the person that you want to be or strive to become the person that you want to become. And that is, is the juice. And so that's how I stay motivated. I focus on the, you know, moving towards my goals. I focus on the result. I'm moving towards the results. So rather than trying to convince myself, no, 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 it's not that bad. I just own, yes, this is not going to be pleasant. But what it gives you is exactly what you want. And if it's what you want, then you should be prepared to fight through the difficulties. Hmm. And with Quest Nutrition, what was the goal? Because... A lot of people, I think, well, you built a, you know, a billion-dollar company. Most people would think that you were money-hungry. You, know, you, you just wanted to, to make millions of dollars. But that's not the case with you, right? Um, people really need to understand that money is, is more powerful than you think, hmm. but it's powerful in ways you can't 
anticipate. So I think most people, certainly this was the case for me, and I used to chase money, so let me not you know, act <laughs> like I'm above it. Right. Um, but thankfully, I stopped chasing money before I really had it. And that ended up being a, a huge transitional moment for me. But what I thought money would do was make me feel better about myself. I thought it would make me feel powerful. I thought it would make me feel good. I thought it would make me feel important. And as I was pursuing that in and of itself and really not having fun, even though I was making more money than I'd ever made, hmm. um, it just it wasn't touching how I felt about myself. And you look at other people that have money and you um, think, oh, man, like that would be so amazing. And they're so cool. Like, look what they have. And it fills you with this sense of like admiration for that person. And then as you start getting money, you realize, huh, I don't feel about myself the way that I felt about that other person. Hmm. And that's what I began to realize that money in and of itself is inert. And about the only thing that it can do is you can burn it and generate heat energy. And in and of itself, paper money, that's like all it really does. Now, it can facilitate something else. And money can, you know, Bill Gates is my favorite example. He's going to cure malaria and he's going to do it because he has access to resources. Mm. Or Elon Musk is going to get us to Mars and he's going to do it because he has access to resources. Mm. So money is incredibly powerful for its ability to facilitate something else. And if you have a grand dream, let me promise you, having money makes it so much easier. I could not do impact theory, at least not the way that we're doing it, if I hadn't generated the capital from Quest. So I'm, I am hyper aware of money's power. But having to learn to feel good about myself for all the things that I do when nobody's watching, for doing the hard things, for putting in the work, for um, really staring nakedly at my inadequacies and pushing myself to grow and develop, those are the things that make me feel good about myself. And you couldn't take that away even if you took all my money. So it's, you know, it's really understanding that dynamic. So when we had the success that we did at Quest, it wasn't about taking that money, buying an island and saying, you know, hey, I'll just sit back here on my island and watch the world burn. It was about all those things that had driven me to work so hard, which was helping other people, trying to become something. And, and Quest specifically for me was about saving my mom and my sister. And, you know, you talked about at the intro to the show, the second leading cause of death here in the U.S. is, uh, for young men anyway, is suicide. It's the number one leading oh, cause second. of death in other countries like Australia. Mm -hmm. And just looking at, and I'm not overly focused necessarily on suicide. It's just such a scary indicator of how people feel about themselves and the pandemic of the mind, as I call it, that we're struggling through. So that's what captivates me having impact on that and really doing something positive for the world makes me feel alive and so that's what i dedicate my energy to have you ever tried to commit suicide no never and and i'm thankful to say that while i've maybe flirted at the edges of depression i've never been what i would call um clinically depressed but i've known so many people that have and i've struggled um with anxiety that's really been my beast mm -hmm. Um, so I get it. I get how the mind can get into these, um, weird, uh, spirals and you have to really put a lot of effort into turning that around. And I believe that it is something that people can turn around, um, uh, but without really engaging in the process of addressing malnourishment of the mind, you, it's just not, it's never going to happen by accident. Have you watched a beautiful mind, the movie? Yes, of course. So there's one scene where literally it gives me the, the goosebumps when I, when I think about it. Uh, do you remember the scene where <clears throat> his wife leaves him and she gets in the car and it's pouring with rain 
and he's standing there and suddenly he has this moment of complete clarity where he realizes that the girl that he that he sees never grows up and when he realizes that he realizes his issue he realizes the problem that he has and he runs out the house and he throws himself at the car and he bangs on the window and she and you know his wife puts down the window and she says what and he goes i got it she never grows up she i i get it now i get it i get it and and for me it was like oh my god like you know that moment in your life where you kind of realize dang and 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 so it didn't cure his the the you know the uh characters that he saw right because he was um schizophrenic he still saw the characters but he was able to live even with them in his head and and i i always think about how i don't think you can ever get rid of negative thoughts i think they just live in in your head they they just come there's no way of controlling them but if you know that they're there you can just kind of wave at them you can kind of go okay hi guys I'm, you know, I'm still going to do whatever I'm going to do. You know, high fear, I, I, I understand that you're scared, but I'm going to do this anyway. And high anger, I get that you're angry, but I'm going to be calm now. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you believe it's possible for someone to change a belief that they've held onto their whole life? No question. And I really, really hope that your audience is listening to what you just said. That's so powerful. And I think is really exactly the truth of the breakthrough that I hope everyone is striving towards. It's that realization that the negative voice doesn't go away, that you're always going to be scared. Um, You know, those are hardwired evolutionary mechanisms, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that you have to listen to them. It doesn't mean that you have to give in to your emotions, but you know that as you described it, it is just, it's incredibly powerful, man, because that is what you need to do, right? To recognize it, but not give in. Mm. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. So the first, I guess the first stage of, and I would say that this, the three, when I was preparing for this interview, Tom, I was thinking like this, basically there's three stages that that people go through to go from kind of being in a rut to being like just on fire, you know, where they're living a life of purpose and they're doing exactly what they, they, they want to be doing. And I think those, and you know, you can add to this or, or tell me I'm completely wrong. Um, but I think the three stages is number one is, is conquering your, your belief system, which is what we were just talking about. And, um, and then it comes down to taking action and then the third thing is once you take enough action, you can tap into something called flow. And when you can get into flow, you literally become unstoppable. So I kind of want to go um, into action for a minute. So in the movie, The Matrix, you know, Morpheus says that there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And I feel like there's so many people that get really, really inspired. They spend hours upon hours consuming content online, you know, or they go to seminars and they still haven't taken any action. You know, years go by and they look back and they go, I haven't done anything. You know, how do you go from being a consumer to being a producer? This is one of those answers that your audience needs to understand, I want to punch myself in the mouth for getting it. Um, <laughs> but the truth is you just, you have to do it. Like at some point you say, 
um, right now, today, not Monday, not tomorrow morning, like right now, I'm going to do something that actually moves me towards my goals, a very concrete step to make that phone call that I'm terrified to make, to send the email, to um, write the manifesto, to create the website. Like there is some concrete step that you could take this second. They should stop listening to this podcast. They should go really? do it. And that like every day, every day before mm. you do anything else, before you go to your job, before anything, like you need to take a concrete step. If you did that every day, even if you have a normal nine to five, even if you've got kids, whatever, if you take that one concrete step, A, I promise you, the way it will make you feel about yourself, you will know that you're a person of action. Mm-hmm. Nothing feels better than that. Two, those things, no matter how small, begin to stack up on themselves and they actually amount to something over time. And then three, you're going to get market feedback and find out if you're doing the right thing so that you can adjust and shift and you know alter it until you're actually getting the success that you want as you define it. Hmm. That's incredible. And I, I was thinking also like, you know, think about for the audience how many you know YouTube videos you've watched, how many Facebook videos you've seen, you know, how many podcast shows have you listened to, you know, uh, how many webinars have you have you attended? And ask yourself this, like of those whatever hundreds of videos you've watched this year, how many have you produced yourself? And out of all the however many podcast shows you've listened to, how many podcast shows or audios have you produced? Out of all the books that you've read this year, how many books have you written? And challenge yourself. Like, make a rule that, like, for me, I don't, when I read a book, I will not get to the next chapter until I've taken some sort of practical action from that chapter that I just read. Because otherwise, like, what are you doing? You're just consuming, 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 and nothing's going to come out. You can't contain all that knowledge. It's too much. Do you know what I mean? I do, man. I think that's a, a really, really powerful strategy. And at the end of the day, you know, and this is my obsession as well, only action matters. Like, if you're not executing, you're just not building anything. And that's how people end up staying trapped, you know, whether it's in a job or... Um, you know, trying to fantasize about building the company but never actually building it. It's until you execute, you, you just you're gonna stay in the same place. Hmm. And also in the in the Karate Kid, did you watch the Karate Kid? I'm assuming of you have. Course. Oh, of course, right? So Mr. Miyagi does this whole like wax on and wax off exercise with with Daniel the Karate Kid, Daniel's son, and. You know, obviously Daniel's kind of thinking like, "What the hell has this got to do with karate? Like, I want to beat people up. Like, I want—I don't want to wash windows. Like, what the hell is the point of that?" But then you see how the consistency and the discipline, and it's all about the movement, and and it's it's so powerful. Like, what what daily routines, Tom, have you adopted that have helped you turn you know your beliefs into action steps? Well, I have. Uh a daily routine that literally is is all action all the time. So first of all, I wake up, I go to the gym. We've already talked about that. The next thing I do is meditate, which is, um, I think, incredibly important to optimizing the mind. Then I do what I call thinkitating, which is taking the alpha wave state that you get into from meditation, and I apply it to whatever big problem I'm struggling with in business mm-hmm. um, so that I get these creative connections that allow me to then uh, really execute in an effective manner. The next thing I do after that is I read um, ideas in equal ideas out for me, and then 
And this is all happening before my first employee shows up. And then I go through a list of the most important things that I could be doing. And I move them all forward. And I don't do anything least of all, you know, take a meeting or read email. Jesus, definitely don't (laughs) read email um, until I've moved everything forward that I can move forward. Um, That's on that list. And so... I wake up incredibly early, so I'm up anywhere between 2.30 and 4.30 almost every day. Shut up. Why are you uh, joking me? What's that? 2.30 in the morning? Yeah, so I don't set an alarm. So oh this is the important God. thing for, like, I'm not, like, some crazy guy that's, like, messing up my sleep. Like, I sleep as much as I need. So if I wake up at 7, so be it. Oh, okay. I don't set an alarm, but I go to bed very early. Uh, so I'm in bed by 9, and wow. then I wake up naturally, and I just typically need between five and six hours sleep um so if i go to bed at nine and i'm up at two that's you know five hours so Mm. it's um it's really all about what time you go to bed so i'll sleep you know my five to six hours i get up and i just hit the day running right away and so that lets me have you know oftentimes i've got five six plus hours worth of work in before the first employee shows up And I have a belief, at least Monday through Friday, I'm a little more laxed on the weekends. But Monday through Friday, if I'm awake, I'm working out or working, period. And that's from, you know, literally, I have 10 minutes to lay in bed. At the end of the 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. I'm up, I head straight to the gym, and it doesn't stop until I close my eyes and go back to sleep. Were you you always like this? or? Not even a little bit. I I am by nature obscenely lazy. No, Um, and and I think that that actually can be leveraged in a positive way because I don't enjoy hard work. So I'm trying to get a result. So when a result demands hard work, then I work hard. Um, And you know, Bill Gates has often said, when you really need to get something done, give it to a lazy person because they'll find a way to do it as (laughs) quickly and easily as possible. Yeah. Uh, And and I've always loved that, and I try to implement that as well. You mentioned about the meditation, um, something about, uh, what was it, waves? Oh, you get in, so meditation puts you into what's called an alpha wave state. Yeah, that. Um, it's, it's, it may not be the most creative state, because I think that might go to a gamma wave state, but getting into a gamma wave state on purpose, they say, takes mm. about 30 years worth of meditative practice. What? Um, so I can't say that I've ever gotten into intentionally gotten into a gamma wave state, Mm -hmm. but I would say your average meditator can get into an alpha wave state where you feel relaxed and alert. Um, and that calm and concentrated state I think is, is super important for creativity, for making unique connections in the mind where there's not other things sort of competing for your attention. What I call the background radiation of daily life, the stress, the anxiety, (laughs) all of that drops to zero. And then you can sort of hear that inner voice, that intuition, ideas just come to you. Um, and not always. Sometimes I meditate and it's like, well, <laughs> you know, other than feeling relaxed, like what have I really gotten from this? Mm-hmm. But then other times it's like you'll get this amazing insight. And it's like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. And it, you know, I mean, that's the subconscious. The conscious mind is like less than 10% of your brainwave activity. So it's like this is really a game of of optimizing your subconscious to get it to the point where it can throw things up to the conscious mind that are usable. Um, and so that's, that's my focus. And yeah, I mean, usually, usually, usually when I wake up in the morning, I get bombarded with like different ideas and thoughts. Um, do you, do you write them down when you're meditating or do you just let them float around? So when I'm meditating, I don't. When I'm meditating, I use a just breathe mantra. So um, I'm trying not to let my mind wander. 
And where thinkitating came from was me getting frustrated that I was like, man, some of these ideas that I get while I'm meditating are awesome. <laughs> and so like, I don't want to lose them. But then I thought, but if I don't force myself into that state where I'm you know, not thinking about something, I'm really just focused on the breath, hmm. I can't really get into that optimized state. So let me take 15, 20 minutes where I'm telling myself just breathe, I'm focusing on the part of the cycle of the breath that I'm on. And then after that, when I'm still in that state, then I'll change my physical posture and I'll keep uh, you know, the computer next to me and I'll let my mind wander and I'll try to sort of um, present it a problem and then just sit back and let my mind wander. And sometimes it stays on that problem, sometimes it goes other places. Um, and then some percentage of the time I have these really wonderful insights and I take notes like crazy and, and other times it's like, eh, my mind is just kind of wandering and I'm not getting a whole lot out of it. Um, but the times where it really does click into place is they're so beneficial that it's worth, you know, doing it as a, as a daily task. Wow. Do you have a nighttime routine before you go to bed? Not really. Um, I mean, sure. Like I brush my teeth and <laughs> say goodnight to my wife, but it, yeah, my night, my nighttime routine. So I work, I'm in bed by nine. I work usually until about, um, seven like at a desk, if you will. Mm -hmm. Then I eat. Um, and then I sit next to my wife with headphones on while um, she unwinds and, and I do some more work. And then, um, you know, 15 minutes before bedtime, I stop and brush my teeth and then off to bed. Cool. So we talked about the belief system and how you can pretty much uh, change your beliefs and, and, and how everybody's limitless, essentially. And then we talked about action and how important it is to take action and consistent action and how to have, um, you know, a structure in your day. And, uh, and a morning routine and the importance of that. Um, and so now I want to get into, into the idea of, of flow, which is where you're really at your uh, core competency. So Bruce Lee has a famous quote. He says, I kick until I don't think kick. I just kick. How do you get into that powerful state of flow, though? Well, so let's differentiate between two things. One, what Bruce Lee is talking about, which I think is one of the most empower, uh, one of the most powerful ideas out there, is mm -hmm. discipline practice. Right. So, I kick until I don't think kick. I just kick means that you're kicking thousands and thousands and thousands of times, so that there is such a connection between um, your mind, your nervous system, that you can get into a flow state, and then the flow state comes from being so good at something that. You really don't have to think about it, but the activity itself is like just um, heightened enough that there are just high enough stakes that you your conscious mind shuts off and your subconscious mind takes over. And um, Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel have talked a lot about this. They founded the Flow Genome Project. Stephen Kotler is the author of The Rise of Superman, which talks about flow states mm -hmm. um, and, and sort of began the investigation. And then the Flow Genome Project really picked up where that left off and dove deep into the neurochemistry of flow and what that looks like and you know what are the different doorways to getting into it. So I think flow is incredibly, incredibly powerful. And one of the you know most important parts of that is to have trained so much at something that your conscious mind really can shut off because there is that um, that just all shorthanded to muscle memory. It's not always something physical. You can get into flow and mental aspects as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that flow is you know where you feel your best and you perform your best because your conscious mind is shut off and it's not messing things up by trying to you know walk through it all. And um, what 
Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler make clear is the reason that happens is your subconscious mind can process a lot more data than your conscious mind, a lot more and a lot faster. Hmm. Um, so it's what Jamie Wheel refers to as faster and vaster. And <laughs> so that's the, the subconscious mind. So if you can shut off, which is ironic because what getting into a flow state is really about is shutting off a part of your brain, not like hyper activating something. It's about shutting off the prefrontal cortex. And so when you do that, then you can really rely on the subconscious which just can handle so much more data hmm. who's your favorite superhero and why um, I'll go with Iron Man on that and the, the reason I love Iron Man I love Batman the only reason that I don't go with Batman is he's a little too dark and brooding he's somebody that really <laughs> hasn't transcended the pain um, so right. the pain's been a great motivator for him and that really resonates with me but if you can't sort of shuck that off and have human relationships I think mm -hmm. that you know you, you've got a problem so Iron Man is is you know as an entrepreneur is somebody that I strive to be like to um, use what you've learned use your talents to create things um, that make the world a better place and you know Bruce is really a lot more hands-off with his business than Tony Stark and Tony Stark's mm -hmm. really the driving engine behind um, the creations of Stark Industries and and it's a great journey if you're familiar with the the canon comic books and you know he's mm -hmm. in the original comics he starts as like an alcoholic and like really? has to overcome that and he's a womanizer playboy and so he overcomes all of that to have like these real relationships so he's got just a better arc for me. Hmm. But you mentioned before that you resonated with Batman's pain. Um, wh where did your pain come from? Because that sounds like you've kind of like really come a long way and, and that's your kind of your key motivator, right? Well, more what I'm saying is that I resonate with using pain as a motivator. Okay. And so I'm, I'm a huge believer that motivating yourself both through um, the positive and the negative, so what I call beauty and rage, um, is super, super beneficial. And they're like, I love, love when people doubt me because it gives me something to prove, right? To say like, look, I showed you, especially if at some point they have tried to attack me, tried to stop me, tried to hurt me. Um, that's like, man, that, that is a gift. And if people can see that as a gift, if they have the fortitude to say that person, no matter how much I love and respect them, they do not define me. Hmm. Um, so I can now break outside of that. I can prove them wrong. Like that is really powerful. But at the same time, if you spend all your time and energy in that darkness, focused on the people who doubt you, and you're only ever leveraging anger, you're just going to be a bitter person. It's not going to be fun to be around you. I don't think that's empowering from a, a just brain chemistry standpoint. I think you really have to find beauty. And I think that you have to be in touch with that beauty. And that is going to make people gravitate to be around you. They're going to want to help you. And you're going to need that, right? So it can't be like me against the world, and it's all dark and anger. Like that's useful. But I would say that should be you know like 10 to 20 percent of your time and energy and then the other 80 to 90 percent should really be beauty it should be helping others it should be being a part of a group and you know striving to make the world a better place but i i do believe in both hmm what do you think your superpower is my superpower is really being able to look inside myself and understand my own motivations. So whether they're petty or not, ugly or beautiful, um, I really understand what's driving me. And that's helped me get clarity, which has helped me not be um, a victim to my own emotions. And I think a lot of times people aren't self-aware enough to really understand what's happening, to understand what's driving a chemical state in their mind. So sadness becomes impervious to logic, becomes impervious to 
um, conscious control. Whereas if you understand neuroanatomy, if you understand um, brain chemistry, if you understand how to get control of that stuff for yourself, then you can really get out of that victim mentality. You can empower yourself. You can recognize that you really are in the driver's seat um, and that you can make changes at any time and you can choose the things you believe and, and what you respond to. But do you think that you were born with self-awareness? Because some, you know, or can you can you basically learn how to be self-aware? Uh, you can learn it for sure. And so my odyssey really began with diving into the anatomy of the brain and, you know, just having the realization that um, your brain is encased in darkness. It never sees light. It never actually hears sound. And yet you have this sense of opening your eyes and light flooding in and you're just seeing the world the way that it is. And once I understand that that isn't true and that your brain is interpreting um, electrochemical signals and creating a representation of the world that is not necessarily tied to objective reality and you know you need only look up optical illusions to see how true that is or mm. recognize the fact that there is like a dime sized um, blank spot in each eye where the optic nerve connects to the eyeball but yet you don't perceive that you don't experience that and so mm. your brain is literally guessing what? about what would be there and filling it in this is all true you can go look Holy this stuff cow. up so once I understood, okay, wait a second, my brain is totally guessing, it's making things up, it's constructing reality <laughs> around me, which is why the matrix is so powerful. So, okay, there's times where the brain is essentially lying to me, but maybe it helps, but are there times where the brain is lying to me and it doesn't help? And the answer is yes, definitively. And so one of those things is understanding the way the deep limbic system works and that the brain passes information through an emotional filter. And it basically says, hey, this input that I'm getting, is it good or bad? And that if your deep limbic system is inflamed, it will process everything as bad. And this is one of the reasons so um, estrogen can inflame the deep limbic system, which is why when a woman is going through a certain cycle um, mm -hmm. in her menstrual cycle that things that aren't necessarily negative objectively are perceived as being negative. So that's just brain chemistry, right? So you can, you can level up over that and you can go, okay, wait a second, simply based on where my hormones are at, and look, guys are just as susceptible. Mm. So that's just one example. I don't want people to think that this is you know, just about women. Like everyone goes through these cycles. Yeah. And if you can understand, okay, wait a second, just from our hormonal level, I'm out of balance, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling anxious, whatever. And now all the input that I'm getting is being colored through that rather than it being objectively bad. This is me interpreting it as bad. And mm. so if that's not objective, could I switch it and decide to interpret that as positive? Could I decide to interpret that as empowering? And the answer is yes. And so the easy example is not being a victim, right? So just because you've been victimized, people think that means they have to feel, they have to internalize the identity of a victim, and you don't. And I, internalizing the identity of a victim is disempowering. And if you choose to say, hey, I've been through this, it was really nasty, but it's empowered me to have the energy to not let this happen to anybody else, to never let it happen to me again. Wow, I'm actually grateful for that. And it's what Tony Robbins says, look at your worst day and change the question and ask, how was that the best thing that ever happened to me? Because wow. there is an answer. There is a way in which that horrible thing, the loss of a loved <laughs> one, um, being paralyzed, I mean, whatever horrible thing you can think of, there is a way in which that's empowering.
And if you know um, Wes Chapman, Wes Chapman was uh, physically, emotionally, and sexually abused as a child, and that destroys virtually everybody who encounters that kind of abuse. Hmm. But Wes decided when he was 16 that he wasn't going to be a victim anymore, that he was going to let that empower him, that it was going to push him to do great things in the world. And, and he went on to make himself very wealthy and to help just a lot of people, and he's now dedicated himself to making sure that nobody else has to go through that. And I mean, it's just been an incredibly beautiful thing, and he's wow. actually made not only himself himself better but he's made the world better by asking how is it the, this the best thing that happened to me and how does it empower me so how far does this go i mean can you take this to addictions can you take this to mental illness yeah i think you can look at it anyway i i have a friend that um has struggled very profoundly with mental illness in his life in the way that the guy from a beautiful right. mind did and in fact he reminds mm -hmm. me so much he's like one of the smartest people i've ever met <laughs> and you know, as he finally had his sort of breakthrough moment where it's like, I get it, the girl doesn't age, mm. he's now been able to reach back and help a lot of other people that struggle in a similar way and has really dedicated a, a huge portion of his life to helping other people deal not only with mental illness, but deal with depression and deal with, um, you know, all the, the things that are right now sort of socially taboo to really show people, A, you're not alone, and B, there is a path to get in control of that. And just as you would work to improve the body, you can work to improve the mind. So, you know, he used it to empower himself and, and he's talked very openly about it and, and because of that has able to turn it into a positive. Do you think then programs like AA, NA, the 12-step program, um, goes against your belief? Because essentially in those programs, they teach that, you, you know, once you're an addict, you're always an addict and there's no way to really, you know, break the cycle, so to speak. Well, so I've never been through one of those, so I, I can't really say, but I mm -hmm. will say this. I've heard people who've been through those programs say that it saved their life. And anytime somebody comes out the other side saying, you know, this made me better, it helped me, like, shit, mm -hmm. I'm all for it. Like, let's look at ways that we can get something positive from anywhere. Yeah. So I'm not worried about the rhetoric. I'm just worried about the result. And so mm. if people come out the other side saying, hey, I feel empowered, I feel a sense of joy and beauty in my life, and this has allowed me to not return to my negative behaviors, like I'm all in. So whether their words are you have to you know, turn it over to a higher power mm. in order to you know, get relief, or whether it's you know, more like the rhetoric that I'm using, which is to look at how you can self-empower, like if they get to the same place, I'm a happy camper. Cool. So movies teach us the power of storytelling, right? And, you know, people may think that they don't have a good story to share with the world. And, and even if they do, they're afraid to share it because they're afraid that people will reject them. How can our listeners discover their story and how can they build the courage to share it with the world? I mean, that comes down to what they want, you know? So it's like, if you put yourself out there, you have to accept that some people are going to come after you. And so that is just not a game for everybody. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that I really had to think through when I decided that I was going to step out front, you know, for so many years, I was just very content uh, to be in the background. And then just began to believe that the way the world was changing, if I really wanted to have the impact that I wanted to have, that... Um, I could have it at a much more accelerated rate by stepping out front, by talking openly, by, you know, really sharing my story with people. Um, and so that's what I did. But I knew that 
you know, with that is going to come the negative. And so I really had to be prepared for that. And I think some people just, um, it's not their shtick. It's not what they want to do. And variety of personality is mm-hmm. really what makes the world go around. And so to your point about, it's about finding their story. It's about finding what's meaningful to them, which may or may not be, um, you know, sort of aggressive sharing like you and I do. Mm-hmm. It may be something that's more intimate, that's, um, you know, much more quiet. And they just find their own way to either be a high level executor, um, in an organization to um, dedicate themselves to a nonprofit to you know whatever that thing is but to really recognize yes some people are going to hate you for it no matter what you do and 99 times out of 100 those people are just as scared and alone and they're attacking you because they're scared and alone and worried that people are going to judge them and you know and that the, the way for them to feel more powerful is to try to bring you down and so my thing is, if behavior is predictable, then it shouldn't be traumatizing. And mm. that's just predictable. I know that some people, the way that they've been raised, the way that they're wired, like they're just, their way of feeling good is to tear people down. So, you know, it's that concept of building the tallest building. There's two ways to get the tallest building in the city. Uh, way number one is to tear everybody else's building down. And so now yours is the only one left standing. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's taller. And the other is to just look at how tall and amazing the other buildings are and say, I'm going to build one that's even taller and even more amazing. Hmm. And so, you know, you just have to accept that going into it. That is a truth of um, human society, at least as of today. Maybe through brain augmentation in the future, <laughs> it won't be that way, uh, but it certainly is today. Yeah, I just thought of a third way, uh, which is you take everybody's buildings and you pile them on top of each other, and then you get the biggest building in the city. There you go. <laughs> Tom, when are you writing a book and when are you producing a movie? Um, well, the producing the movie um, may be, a, while a longer term, certainly an easier mm-hmm. thing to answer, that's really part of the business model. So okay. um, we're working on that. It's, it's a long-term strategy in terms of how you do that without that being a high-risk endeavor. Because I mm-hmm. think the way that the film industry is going right now, they're, just, um, it's, they're setting it up super poorly where every film is a tentpole film and the middle <laughs> has sort of dropped out and there's, yeah. you know, there are no longer base hit films. It's like they're betting the farm every time they go to bat. And I just, I think that's a bad strategy. Right. Um, so we're taking a different approach, which is really building to that, um, putting out content that's sort of low risk and then watching for virality and only betting on things as they've already proven themselves out. And 50 shades of gray is a perfect example hmm. of somebody who did that where she had like 5 million followers, um, on her fan fiction platform where she actually wrote 50 shades of gray. Wow. Um, so that by the time she launched, she already had an audience of 5 million people, cool. even though most people hadn't even heard of her. So that's, that's much closer to our model. Mm-hmm. Um, writing a book, um, is something that we plan to have on shelves in the next 12 months. So, mm-hmm. um, I've, uh, yeah, I finally crossed the, the bridge. <laughs> what I'm doing is I'm the reason that I hesitated for as long as I did is it takes an inordinate amount of time, A, um, and B, the only reason you write a book is to become a speaker because people can already get all my ideas by watching my videos. So yeah. it isn't about me helping more people. It's really about me finding another avenue, which is the avenue of speaking. And I think to really get out there and have the kind of impact as a speaker that I want to have, I need to have the book. Um, so I'm going to have a ghostwriter go back through all my video content and pull everything out. So it's all my words. It's all mm. verbatim. And they just build the structure around it. Um, which is perfect because it allows me to scale that. And um, if you follow my content, you know I'm obsessed with scale. So once I figured out the way to scale that, then it was okay. I'm I'm game. Yeah, and for those listening, if you 
don't know uh, Tom Bilyeu's content, it's impact theory. It's absolutely incredible. It will 100% change your life. Uh, actually, no, I take that back. It will not change your life unless you actually take action. So, but you've got to start with watching his videos because it's absolutely incredible. Um, Tom, what's the best way my listeners can get in touch with you? Can you share some of the uh, websites uh, or other ways they can contact you? Yeah, definitely. So I'm very, very active socially. So if they follow me at, at Tom Bilyeu, uh, my last name is spelled B as in Bravo, I-L-Y-E-U. Mm-hmm. Um, they can find me on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, like I said, I'm very active. And then uh, my company is Impact Theory, uh, and you can follow them as well and keep abreast of all the things that we're doing. And of course, uh, there's also Quest Nutrition. Yes, most definitely. Um, so, so all of those will be in the show notes. So for those listening, if you want to go to the show notes, it's danielgeffen.com forward slash 74. That's danielgeffen.com forward slash 74. Tom, this has been incredible. I'm literally, ah, I'm like, I'm like your biggest fan. I was like telling my wife this morning, I'm like, oh my God, I'm actually going to interview Tom Billy. This is crazy. Um, so Tom, thank you so much for letting me pick your brain and thank you to all my fellow brain pickers. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the, can I pick your brain podcast? Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.